We're going to continue our series in First uh, First Peter. We are in verse 13. We've wrapped up kind of the first idea section of this chapter. And thank you, Troy. Um, I got all excited and I did forget my magic clicker thing. But so I'm going to read First Peter, starting in verse 13, chapter one, and then we're going to pray. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Please join me in prayer. Lord, as we consider these words, as we consider your word, God, would you quiet us? Would you remove us, the distractions that weigh us down, and allow us to be before your throne to learn from you? God, I think of when Jesus spoke, and it talks about people just sitting at his feet to listen to his voice. That's where we want to be this morning. We want to sit at your feet. We want to hear your voice. Nobody wants to hear me. I don't want to hear me. Nobody needs to hear me. We need to hear you. So Lord, would you speak to us in this time? Would you teach us from your word? Use it to cut, use it to pierce, use it to refine, burn away the impurities, continually mold us like clay. You are so good, Lord. And it is a joy to open your word and to dive into it. And so we just ask that you lead this continuation of our worship. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to reread the passage. Uh, we're going to be spending time in just four verses, and so I want to make sure that we are, we are absorbing this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And the first thing, and, and I'm guessing many of you, you maybe have heard this before, but this is a a lesson worth repeating because this is so valuable, not just in understanding how to study scripture. Or what have we said? One of our goals is to teach everyone how to study scripture, to equip people as you pursue this on your own. Sunday morning should not be the only time you're cracking this open. You do not need me in the room. You don't need the elders in the room to spend time with God's word. And so one thing to equip you all as you study God's word, look for the word therefore. And it's a Greek word, dio. And it implies two directions. When you see therefore, if it helps draw two arrows pointing in two directions. But what this word means is looking backwards in order to properly look forwards. So in other words, whatever came after therefore, whatever comes after therefore, you cannot understand if you don't understand what has come before the therefore. And so in this case, we see this in the letter. And what is the section of 1 Peter, this letter that he has just wrapped up? It's born again to a living hope. Remember, he says, look, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. And he goes on to describe what this new life looks like. He talks about refining fire. 
And so when you see therefore here in 1 Peter verse 13, your immediate reaction should be to go read verses 3 through 12. We're not going to do that this morning. You're all going to do that this afternoon. We're going to read 1 Peter 3 through 12, and then we can understand what comes after the therefore in verse 13. So what we've looked at in the first 12 verses is that, okay, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. This then is how you respond to it. That's what we see on the two sides of this therefore. So for Christians, if we are not operating out of, if we are not considering our faith and our practical life application out of a deep, constant, perpetual awareness of a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, we're missing the point. Every day there should be that realization, that focus, that remembrance, that submission to, that celebration of the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Peter lays it out that this is the foundational idea that everything else builds on. Because of this living hope, you have this living hope you've been born again to, therefore, here is how you are to respond. And so the question, the first question I'm going to ask you guys today as we prepare to listen to this message is, would you say that you have been born again? You don't need to raise your hands or anything. Just answer this to yourself. Have you been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus? If you have been then these next couple of verses need to define your life. Therefore, these verses should define your life. Consider this, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. For the love of God controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Believers, we're not in charge of our lives. God has set out how we are to live, how we are to speak. What we're going to look at this morning, God has set out how we are to think. And it's amazing, but tragic, how many times in my own life, when I look and I realize I'm not where I should be as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus, how often I can trace it back to because I am thinking with the wrong perspective, because I am thinking with the wrong mind. If I am not thinking rightly about God, it's hard to imagine that my actions are going to be in the right place that my conduct is going to be in the right place. And so as Peter says, look, if you have been born again, because you have been born again to a living hope, therefore, this is how you are to respond, what does he dive into? He dives into the mind. And he says, preparing your minds for action. This phrase in the, in the original language is literally, gird up the loins of your mind. And what that meant was they wore robes back then, big flowing you know, robes with multiple layers. And to gird up the loins referred to tying up basically everything from just above the knees. You'd start with the robes right about here and you'd tie everything up and you'd knot it into your belt so that you could run about freely. So that you wouldn't be encumbered and tripped up by the loose bottom of your robes when you were engaging in serious action. So this, was this wasn't like, if I'm just walking down the street to the market, there's no need to tie up my robes. But if I'm in battle, if I'm running after a lost sheep, because I'm a shepherd, if I'm running after, like if I'm in action, if I am in a place where I need to be able to respond appropriately and quickly, then I need to tie up my robes. And so Peter says, hey, you need to do this to your mind 
to your thoughts. You need to gather up the loose thoughts. You need to gather up the way you think about things and have them tied up so that you are ready for action. 1 Peter 5, 8-9 through 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. When we get to 1 Peter 5, we'll spend more time on those verses, but they absolutely connect to this now. Be sober-minded, be alert, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around seeking to devour you. I spend a good amount of time talking about war and battle because that's what we're in every day. And a lot of Christians say, yeah, yeah, I know. I know I'm in battle. I've heard the imagery. I've heard the verses. But do you really, I mean, did you wake up and did you consider the reality, the absolute truth, that you have an enemy who would love to devour you this morning? Like Joe woke up and had an enemy who is dead set against him and wants to see him destroyed today. Jesus describes the enemy in John 10.10. 10, he says, the thief comes to seek, to kill, and destroy. Not like I flicked him on the ear, not I made him trip, not I, I got a nick on his arm. Destroy, devour. You have a personal enemy. Wake up to this. Because when you wake up and you think, well, I got to pray for my pastors, I got to pray for the elders, because they have an enemy who's coming for them, we absolutely appreciate those prayers and need those prayers. But if you wake up thinking, boy, I'm glad I don't have an enemy like that, you are lying to yourself. And I can think of two reasons why we fall into this trap, and I, I honestly don't know which is more horrifying. But when we listen to scripture, when we listen to the reality that we are at war, that we have an enemy, and we are tempted to brush that off and say, I just don't see this in my life. He talks about war, he talks about battle, he talks about being attacked. I don't see it. I think of two possible realities. One is we have become so lulled to sleep by the enemy that we are numb to his tactics. And we don't even realize that he's attacking us because we're not paying attention. That's a horrifying thought. The other thought is we are so ineffective and unproductive in our faith that we're not even a threat in this battle. And that's a horrifying thought. So as we start this passage in 1 Peter talking about prepare your minds for action because there is an enemy seeking to devour you, if you sit there and you say, I really don't feel like that, like, I don't see it. I just, I don't see that I'm at war. Ask yourself, is it because you've removed yourself from the battle and you're not a threat? Or because you've just stopped paying attention and you're numb to it? But what we see is prepare your minds for action. Not to sit on the couch, for action. Why? Because you have an enemy seeking to devour you. Ephesians 6, 17 through 18, take the helmet of salvation. You've been born again to a living hope, the resurrection, salvation. So therefore, prepare your minds for action. Take the helmet of salvation. Salvation protects what? Our minds. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Colossians 2, 2-4. 
Uh, Paul's talking about his desire, and he says, The desire that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of what? He says, This is my desire that their hearts would be knit together to reach the fullness, the full assurance of emotional stability. No. He says, my desire is that they would reach the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Plausible arguments. The enemy's not an idiot. He's not going to come to you with something that you immediately know is garbage. He's subtle. He's clever. He's crafty. Plausible arguments. He's going to make it sound as much like the truth as possible so that you bite the hook wanting the worm. So Paul says, my desire is that you would mature and grow into full assurance of wisdom and knowledge. Christians, if we are not thinking rightly, we are setting ourselves up for failure. If we have eliminated the intellect, if we have eliminated the mind from our walk with Christ, we are setting ourselves up for failure. Peter says to a group of people fleeing their homes, forcibly evicted, probably fearing for their lives because of the persecution, he says, prepare your minds for action. And we say, yeah, I'm prepared for action. I'm ready. I'm mentally ready. Anytime a stranger posts anything online that's theologically false, I'm the first one to blast them in the comments and point out how wrong they are and question the rest of their life. Man, I am a keyboard warrior like you've never seen. Yeah, I'm ready for the conversation. Or we say, of course I'm mentally ready. Of course I'm paying attention. That's why I'm so freaked out and anxious. Nobody reads more news headlines than I do. Nobody spends more time studying the stories going around the world. Economic, political, social. You, I mean, you want to talk about it? I read it before you did. That's why I'm stressed. Because my mind is, I'm active. Well, what's the second half? He says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. See, it's not just about I'm geared up ready for a fight. It's I'm geared up and I'm ready, but I'm ready in the right mindset. I'm ready in the right spirit. Sober-minded, this phrase sober-minded, it means self-controlled. It means steadfast, unflappable. Right? We're going to look at other uses of this idea and you're going to see that sober-minded is not flighty like a bumblebee. I mean, if you've ever watched a bumblebee or a butterfly flying, right, and it's, you get see, like air sickness just watching them loop about, and whenever the breeze comes, they go that way, and then they kind of like, no, that's not sober-minded. Sober-minded is an arrow. When it's released, it goes right to the target. It doesn't waver. It doesn't change. This is sober-minded. It's self-controlled thinking. Philippians 3, 12 through 15. You should recognize this. There's posters on it. We have it on shirts. Get used to these verses in your lives. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What is the cause of all this? Christ Jesus has made me his own. So because of that, I press on, I am steadfast, 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. 2 Timothy 4, 16, 23, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4, 16, 23. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Sober-mindedness is clarity of mind and of purpose. So Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, calls the church to prepare our minds for action, and in that preparation, to be sober-minded, to have clarity of thought, to be steadfast in our thinking, to be self-controlled, in our thought patterns. And so here's the second question of personal self-reflection. What influences your day-to-day -day emotions most? News headlines? What so-and-so posted online? The social climate, the political climate, the economic climate? What your neighbors did, what your coworkers did, what they said? what that customer said, what that driver did when he cut you off and then blamed you? I mean, does that determine your thoughts for the day? Or does Scripture determine your thoughts for the day? Well, I'm just, I'm freaking out today. Why? Well, because over breakfast I read these seven news stories, and so now I'm just, this is a terrible day. Psalm says, Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your love before the day has passed us by. I mean, we think of the end of the day. Well, today was a satisfying day looking backwards. David says, no, today is a satisfying day looking forwards because God loves me. Amen. So what determines your day? What determines your mood for the day? What determines your thought pattern for the day? External circumstances or internal truth? Prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. We have got to learn to think rightly. When we miss this, it's disastrous. And so what's the, what's the second half of this idea? He says, be, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded. And then he goes on to lay out what that looks like. We're not left in the dark. It's beautiful. What's he say? He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. This is what sober-mindedness looks like. A mind that is set fully on the hope of the grace that will be brought to us. So that when our coworker spouts off in ignorance, when the neighbor spouts off in ignorance, when the people online, when the talk, like whenever pops up something that would distract you and send you spiraling, no, no, my mind is set fully on the hope of the grace that is to be mine, and that is how I will reply because I am sober-minded and I have prepared my mind for this action. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 6, 17 through 19. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Our thought life is so important in our day-to-day behavior. If our thoughts, if our mind is set on the hope of Christ, on the salvation of Christ, what does it describe? What does God describe this as? An anchor for the soul. So that when, look, I'm not trying to pretend that stressful situations don't happen every day. When you're trying to sell your house and the market plummets and you just lost your job, I mean, like, that's stressful. There are financial stressors in this world. There are economic stressors in this world. There are social, geopolitical stressors, relationship stressors in this world. You will face storms. You will either look at that storm and think, wait a minute, I have my hope anchored by Christ or sober-mindedness goes out the window because we're not prepared for action. And that stressor becomes a vulnerability that the enemy uses to attack you. Right? You're in that job that's terrible and you don't like your boss and your boss doesn't like you and there's no respect and physically driving to work makes you sick. And what Sam, at age 22, should have done is said, God's in control. He has me in this job for a reason. My soul is anchored. I will set my mind on that. What Sam, at age 22 and 23, did was, has God forgotten me? God, wait, what's that voice saying? That voice is saying that I'm in this situation because God's too busy to worry about my day-to-day. And I lost the fight on many days because I was not prepared for action mentally, because I was not sober-minded. This happens in our relationships. This happens in our lives constantly. And if we are not prepared for action, if we are not anchored, the attack becomes effective. So we anchor in the hope of Christ, knowing that whatever this world throws at us, we can remain firm in our response to it. Consider a ship in the middle of a storm. There are two ships in a storm. One is anchored, one is not. Both are impacted by the waves. I'm not pretending that the storm's waves in your life won't physically hit you. The ship that is anchored is still hit by the waves. There's motion to it. But it doesn't stray from where it's supposed to be because it's anchored. The impact happens, but the anchor holds the ship where it's meant to be. 
The impact of the waves hit the other ship, but because it's not anchored, it winds up off course. It winds up delayed. It winds up damaged. Set our minds on the hope. What is the hope? An anchor. This all builds. This all grows and grows to make us into more mature Christians who are ready for the actions of this world, of this life. And what's the theme of the letter? The theme of these letters are victory, right? So I'm here to remind you that if maybe you've forgotten this, maybe you forgot to drop anchor, I'm here to remind you, no, no, the anchor's been dropped. Salvation has been won. You've been redeemed. You're rooted. Set your mind on that. Recall that. Remember, Peter is writing this to people in the midst of intense trials, and he's saying, hey, set your mind on these things, fully on the hope of the grace that is to be yours. This is what victory in the midst of trials looks like. It's incredible. And then he gives the flip side of that. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, 4, verse 14. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then he goes on to talk about grace and salvation. He says the end result of this is that so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of what? What this section begin with? Right thinking. Learning to think rightfully, to engage intellectually correctly. And he says so that we may no longer be carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, by false thoughts, by misleading thoughts. This is what tosses us about. Let's go back to an earlier passage, right? I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, things that sound good, that sound reasonable. That's what carries us about. That's what tosses us to and fro. But we have the entirety of Scripture to fight against this, to gird up the loins of our mind and be mentally ready for the action we will face. Joe and Leanna, I'm going to give you guys an assignment. Go home, and you only have five seconds to finish your assignment. Joe, your assignment is to take a piece of paper and to write out and know everything that 2 plus 2 does not equal. Leanna, you take a piece of paper, five seconds, you write out what two plus two does equal. Who's gonna do better at their assignment? Leanna. Joe is gonna waste so much time trying to know everything that two plus two does not equal. That's not how we do education. We don't sit kids down and we say, okay, these are all the things that red is not. We say, no, this is the color red. Anything other than this is not red. This is what 2 plus 2 equals. Anything other than that is not 2 plus 2. 
And so when we come to something like this, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. There's a temptation, and I felt, you can ask Mario, I started to go down this rabbit trail as I was prepping for this message, writing out, okay, what are, the, what are all the passions of our former ignorance? And I've got like three pages of notes, and I'm just going and going, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit was like, what if you just instead focus on what is true? Wouldn't that be faster? Wouldn't that be easier? Oh, yeah. I'll delete all that work. And so right now we hear this and we hear, okay, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Okay, pastor, Sam, just give me a list of do not do these things. Cool, done. Man, I don't know all the passions of your former ignorance. At one point you were formerly ignorant in your sin. So was I. It's not an insult, that's reality. So we could waste time trying to think of everything that's a do not do. Okay, well, don't think this, don't think that, don't think that, don't... No. Or we could say, hey, God, what does your word say to think on? And that's what this all wraps up with. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That's what it boils down to. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What does that distill down to? What does Peter summarize these verses as? Be holy in all your conduct, including your thoughts. And then God gives us this definition as well. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What a beautiful roadmap. I mean, God could not make it any easier on us. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, worthy of praise. I mean, talk about like the best test aid we've ever been given. So here's how we apply this. What do we do with this? Well, just simple. I mean, if, if you can memorize those two verses, great. Memorize them. Memorize that list of what to think on. If not, put it on your phone. Have a note on your phone. And when thoughts pop in, just run through that checklist. I, uh, I am, and I say this genuinely, like, please hear me. This is not a comical moment. I am, and I'm growing in this not as quickly as I'd like. Uh, I am embarrassingly immature on the road. And what I mean by that is if you cut me off without a turn signal, I do not think honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent thoughts about you. I rush to judgment. And <laughs> Adeline pointed this out one time and I did not like hearing this, but she was spot on. She was like, you rush to do that because it makes you feel better about yourself. I would never blow through a stop sign like that idiot. I'm conscious of everyone. I'm a better person than he is because I drive better than he does. I would never blow my leaves onto my neighbor's yard. What a jerk. But then it translates into deep stuff. And don't, I mean, that's bad, right? Like, I, she calls me out on it if I mutter something under my breath, and she's like, oh, was that a holy thought? 
Yeah. Sanctification. Oh, so necessary. Not always fun, but so necessary. What? I did. I made the mistake of telling her to hold me accountable, and now she does. And it's so good, but it's painful. But this is what we need to do. We need to hold each other accountable. We need the people in our lives who will say, hey, I'm listening to you talk about your boss. I'm listening to you talk about your coworkers. I'm listening to you talk about your spouse. And man, those thoughts are not commendable. That is not a praiseworthy train of thinking. That is not an honorable. That is not a just. That is not a pure line of thinking. Brother, you are not thinking on excellent things. This is what we have been called to think on. And so God makes it easy for us, and he gives us this list. And so the application, what I work to train myself to do, is when the thoughts pop up, run through that list. Well, this is going wrong. The test diagnosis came back the opposite of what we hoped for. The medical condition is not good prognosis is not positive, God has abandoned me. Whoa, wait, hold up. That thought will not lead to praise. Okay, stop thinking on this. Well, these people always betray me. Nobody cares about me. No wait a minute. Is this excellent? Is this commendable? Is this, a, is this an honorable line of thinking? No? Stop. I mean, we have to train ourselves to recognize the attacks that the enemy will use in our thinking to derail us. And then we have to train ourselves to prepare or to be prepared to respond to that action. This goes all the way back to verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. You're going to get attacked in your thoughts. Well, I just, I just need to tell this one person how wrong they are. And they're so wrong that this justifies my tone of voice. Jesus said, be gentle. Jesus said, always seek to be at peace with everyone. But in this one case, they're just, they are so wrong that I need to be a little short with them so that they understand just how off base they are. No, that is unexcellent thinking. Stop it. Prepare your minds for action. Where is the enemy going to attack you, to devour you using your thinking? And so that's the application this week. As we consider this, I want to reread it. Therefore, in light of the incredible hope of our resurrection, I mean everything in verses 3 through 12, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. The passions of your former ignorance. It sure feels emotionally good to haul off on somebody verbally. In the moment, you feel justified. I showed them. I put them in their place. In the moment, it feels good to fall into panic, to fall into fear, to fall into doubting God. It scratches that itch. Those are the passions of our former ignorance. We must put them off. We must not be conformed to them. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This includes how we think. This includes our sober-mindedness. This includes our minds being prepared for action, which all of us will face. 
So read Jeremiah 2, read Revelation 2, and read those, those two chapters, read them first. If some weeks you maybe read the chapters out of order, some weeks it doesn't matter. This week, read Jeremiah 2 and Revelation 2 first. Then read Romans 12, Philippians 3, and Colossians 2 and 3. We're all going to do this. And then the do, the application, get prepared. Where is Satan going to attack me? Where is he going to attack my thoughts? Joe, where is Satan going to attack your thoughts? You know what? I don't get stressed about finances. It probably won't be there. I don't get, I don't get stressed about work. I, I like my job. Man, you know what? I really get medically stressed. I start to, you know, one of the kids coughs, and I immediately spiral into, he's got pneumonia, we're going to wind up in the hospital, this is going to be, right? Like, okay, where is Satan going to attack your thoughts? Where are your thoughts going to stray from honorable, just, excellent, commendable, praiseworthy? And once you've identified that weakness, then go to Scripture and say, okay, God, what have you said about that area? What have you said about this? I'm preparing my mind for action. I am readying my thought life for the action that will occur here so that when those thoughts try and creep in, I can respond with, whoa, 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 here's what God says. I'm going to stick with that. And we can shut it down. And we cannot be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. Prayer ideas, if you struggle with prayer, if you need help with prayer, if you're growing in prayer, learning prayer, the Acts model that we went over, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Apply that to these verses. Praise God that he has given us this pattern. Praise God that he gave us that list in Philippians 4. Praise him for all he has done for us in this regard. Confess where we fall short in this. Confess for where we ignore him in this. Confess where we do wrong in this. Thank him. For the Holy Spirit who indwells us, it says the Holy Spirit will call to the mind the things you have heard. So if you're saying, I can't, I just, I can't memorize Scripture. The Holy Spirit in you knows Scripture. It says he will call to mind the things you know. Thank him for that. Thank him for his word. Thank him for a defense to the attacks that we face. Supplication, ask. Ask him for strength in this. Ask him for training in this. Ask him to grow us in this. So that we are becoming more and more like Christ. We are maturing as believers. And then the connect, reach out to one another. Reach out to another CBC family member and pray for them. Sharpen each other. Iron sharpening iron. Encourage one another. Confess to one another. Have somebody come alongside you in this fight. But when we look at 1 Peter 1, as he's talking to these people going through intense trials... I think it's tellingly important that he spends time to say, look, get your minds right. Get your thoughts under control. Think rightly. Prepare for action. Be self-controlled in this. This matters. Please join me in prayer. God, we thank you for who you are and how you lead us. We thank you for your word. God, may we never trivialize where we stray from these things. Forgive me for when I want to write off stuff as just, well, it could be worse. Remind me that my call is to be holy as you are holy in everything. Remind your people of this. Give us this desire. Give us this passion. 
Lord, your word also says, take every thought captive. Train us how to do this. Teach us how to grow in this. Thank you for the anchor of Christ. Thank you for the anchor of the hope of salvation. May our lives, may our thoughts rest securely in that anchor. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.